what I want to do tonight, um, <laughs> it's a little bit different because have you ever had those days when you were going one direction and you knew what you were doing and you had it all planned out? And then at the last minute, something changed and you ain't going to get to do what you thought you was going to do? <laughs> That's one of them days today. Because I could promise you with everything I've got that I had page after page after page after page of notes and all this cool stuff that I thought I was going to get to talk about. I don't get to talk about it. It didn't work that way. So, so, you know, sometimes that's just what happens. Sometimes God decides to change the plan. But I would rather be in his plan and look a little bit foolish for him than to try and do it in my own wisdom or my own might. Amen? Amen. Whether that's talking about preaching or everyday life, I would rather be in the perfect will of God and look like a fool to those that do not understand what's going on and to be looking wise in my own self because I don't want to lean under my own understanding or do what I think I can do because I have found a better way and the way is Jesus. Amen? The way is Jesus Christ. The way is to just turn to Him and let Him have control. So what I want to talk to you about tonight is this simple idea. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's, he's better than wealth. He's better than, than fame. He's better than love. He's better than success. He's better than anything you can find. My Jesus is still better. Amen? He is a good God. He's a gracious God. And no matter what you find out there in the world, I don't care because I have already found the prize. I have already found the best of the best. You can't give me anything better. You can't show me something that will turn me away because after my eyes were cast on Jesus, I have found out that I've got to have dove's eyes and I can walk after him with all I've got. And there is nothing that can turn me aside because nothing looks quite as good as him to me. Nothing gets my attention more than a God that loved me enough to come and die for me. So what I want to do tonight is, is kind of some advice. I'm sure if you've been to any state meetings or anything, you've heard Bishop Higgins say that if you get up to preach, as long as you can just brag on Jesus a little bit, you'll be all right. So, so I just came tonight to just brag on Jesus. Is that okay? I just want to brag on him a little bit, and from where I want to start my bragging is going to be in the book of Hebrews. And brother, you may not have these first few verses, because I'm just going to kind of lay a backdrop for where we're going. You'll have to excuse me if we jump around a little bit. Uh, you can ask the folks that rode with me. Most of what I'm about to share with you is what God was sharing with me on the drive up. So I apologize if we jump a little bit. But I want to start with the book of Hebrews chapter 9. And I'm just going to read through it quickly to let you understand where we're going. I've got a lot of Bible reading, but sometimes I'm kind of nerdy about this book. I kind of like it a little bit. <laughs> so I'm going to just read you some verses real quick. It says this in chapter 9 of the book of Hebrews. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then verily, first the covenant has all, had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. After the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which, is, had, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant and overlaid all this stuff. And I'm going to save you all just a little bit to tell you that the next few verses talk a lot about some holy furniture. That's all it is. A lot of holy furniture. It's Jesus' furniture. So I'm going to jump on down to about verse 6. He says this, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second they only went once every year, not without blood, which having offered for himself and for the errors of the people. I'm going to jump on down to verse 11. This is where it starts getting good. It says this, But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats, 
goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and for the ashes of a heifer and the sprinkling the unclean would sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works. And let me pause right there and ju- just stop because we think that dead works is sin and the dead works he's talking about here ain't sin. The dead works he's talking about here is religion that has played down how good Jesus is. The dead works he's confronting right there is not the dead works of our sin that we all used to be caught in because whether your bondage was drugs or your bondage was a bad attitude, we were all sinking deep in sin. Amen. We were all lost. We had all fallen short of the glory of God. But the dead works he's talking here, he's not even talking about our old sinful stuff. No, no, no. What he's talking about here is this idea of religion that the best we get out of Jesus is we get to come to church one time a week or two times a week if we really love him. And we experience all that he has in 45 minutes. But the God that I read about is the God of Revelations 4 where the angels circle around the throne and they sing, Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty who was the God that is and the God that even in the middle of heaven where you would think everything could be contained, it says the God that is to come. So it means there's even more of him there that they haven't experienced, right? So that's the Jesus we're talking about. And what he's confronting here is this idea that all you really get is you say a prayer and you go to heaven. But whoever the author of Hebrews was, some say Paul, some say Luke, and y'all know all that stuff. Whoever wrote it, it really don't matter because obviously they was in love with Jesus. And they just wanted you to know that there is a better way than a lukewarm and a mild Christianity. There is a better way than thinking all you get is an encounter with God when you come to church. No, your encounter with God can happen in the car. Your encounter with God can happen while you're standing there at work. Your encounter with God can happen on the chip aisle at Walmart if that's where you want it to happen at. Amen. Jesus is better. With the law, we could only get him when we went to the temple. With the law, we could only get him when we had a sacrifice. But even now, even when I don't have anything to offer him, even in my messed up, broken state of, uh, of twisted and mangled humanity, I can still come to the Almighty God anytime I want to. Jesus is still better. Jesus is better. Amen. Let me hit this last verse for you because I just really like this. And I told you I'm a little bit of a Bible nerd. You have to forgive me. Verse 15 of, chapter, of Hebrews chapter 9 says this. And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament that by the means of death for the redemption of the transgression that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of not eternal life. No, 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 no. There's a difference. Not of eternal life, but an eternal inheritance. What? No, no, no. I thought we were just supposed to get life. No, 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 no. Honey, you get way more than life when you get Jesus. Yeah, you get life more abundantly, but you get spiritual gifts and and you get grace to make it through each day. And you get a power that it says when you're weak, my grace is going to be sufficient for you and my strength is going to hold you up. And he says, I will undergird you with the right hand of my righteousness and, and all these different. You get way more than just a train ride to heaven. You get way more when you get Jesus because Jesus is better. Here, let, me, let me give you this last verse. Because like I said, this is just some good stuff. He said this. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. Now, now anybody who's messed with the legal side of things, if you've had a family member pass away or, or anything like that, do you know what a testator is? The testator is the one who's going to see how everything gets divided up, right? 
The testator is going to take care of saying, okay, this one gets this, and this one gets this, and, and this one gets this. So when Jesus was leaving, and he said, these things shall you do in my name, what he was doing was testating part of that will. What Jesus was doing when he said, you know what, through me you're going to have eternal life, he was testating part of that will. Because we know that he died, he passed away, but we're going to get his inheritance according to this verse. Amen? So he is testating the things that he's going to give. He is handing out the rewards of serving him. He is handing out the rewards of being his heir. So through him, we get all these rewards. We get all these benefits. We get all of these blessings. So, so I've told you that Jesus is better. And, it, and if you've ever read the book of Hebrews, you know that that's kind of just the theme of the whole book. It's just Jesus is better. Better than anything, but, you know, sometimes we in the South use anything a little bit loose. So, so let me just go ahead and, <laughs> and specify. Since I'm from the South, I tend to do that a little bit, but I will go ahead and clarify what the book says. See, Jesus is better, and he is a better messenger, according to chapter 1. Because what we see is that a lot of times in the Old Testament with the prophets, what they would do is they would come up and you would have a man like Elijah. And he would say, the God that answers by fire, surely he is God. And fire fell and the people understood, but then a little bit later they backslid. Why? Because it was just an act, something to catch their attention. It was just like God just came to town and he was the one night circus. That's what they thought. They, they, they got their attention for a little bit, but it never held their attention. It never, it never held their gaze. It never really caught them. And, and, and you would have these men like Daniel who would say, don't worry. I'm going to be okay because you can chunk me in this lion's den and my God will protect me. You have the three Hebrew boys who'd say, Oh, King, look, we are not going to back down and say that our God is not the real God and yours is because you chunk us in that fire. And one way or another, I am persuaded our God is able to take care of us. And you had all these different acts in the Old Testament where they would do these different things and God would show up in miraculous and mighty ways. And it's awesome to read it. And we think, well, why doesn't God do that now? Why doesn't God do this? Why doesn't God do that? Because Jesus is better. He ought to be enough to catch our gaze, amen? We ought not need the fire falling from heaven because we can get a glimpse of the fire in his eyes. Amen? I'm talking to you about the Jesus that I serve. I'm not talking about wimpy, puny Jesus that was hanging on the whipping post about to die. I'm talking about the Jesus in Revelation. I'm talking about the one that comes back and he has a hair that is white as wool and eyes that flame like fire. And he has a vesture with his name written on it and out of his mouth proceeds a two-edged sword. Amen. That's the Jesus I'm talking about. A victorious and a triumphant king. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the angels because we understand that God created the angels and he made them and they had to serve their purpose and all this different stuff. But how much more did one fulfill his purpose when he came and said, you know what, I understand I will be the ultimate sacrifice, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to give everything I got up to be with you. I'm going to give you all I got. Jesus is better than the angels. Chapter 3 would tell us this, that Jesus is better than Moses. And, and I'll try to be brief. I'll try to hurry through some of this because I don't want to bore you. But, you know, but Jesus is better than Moses. Well, well, you have to understand there's a lot of similarities there between Jesus and Moses because Moses was what? He was the one that he grew up in the temple. He grew up in the palace. But he made a choice to leave that palace. And he wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And then he became the greatest leader. He became the icon and the epitome of God. 
of what it looked like to go after God and what it looked like to chase God. And Jesus was much the same way because we know that he chose to leave the palace of all of eternity and heaven and glory and all that. And he came down here. And even before he was able to go in his ministry, he had to wander 40 days in the wilderness so that God could prepare him just like Moses had to be prepared. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Joshua. Is what it tells us in chapter 4. Jesus is a better high priest is what it goes on to say in in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 7. Because how many know that we are thankful for what Jesus did? Well, I'll get there in a minute actually. Jesus is a better covenant according to chapters 8 through 9. Jesus is a better way according to chapter 10 through 13. But but I just want to hit on three of them real quick for you. And then we will go ahead and we'll get out of the way and everything. But I just want to hit on three because I believe God's got three little points he wants to leave us tonight. So I'm just going to brag on Jesus for a minute and tell you this. Jesus is a better messenger. Because, see, the thing is that Jesus came. John chapter 3 verse 17 tells us that for he came not into the world to condemn the world, but for that the world through him might be saved. He didn't come to make you feel bad. And how many know that what the law did was they came up and it had their long religious finger in your face waving all the time saying, you are not good enough. You don't measure up. Oh, no, 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 no. Look, you fell here. You messed up back here. You did this. You did that. You fell here. And they focus on all of these thou shalt nots and they forget about the thou shalts. Because you notice that in the law, we get a whole bunch of shall nots. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do that. Thou shalt not do. And Jesus, when he shows up, he just gives us one comment of thou shalt. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. These two are going to sum up the entire law. And here's the entirety of the whole thing. That's what he said. So Jesus was not focused on condemning you with shall nots. Rather, he was focused on just expressing love to you through a shall. Make sense? And, and instead, because Here's the idea. I remember being a kid. If I were working with my dad. And my dad come up to me and I had done wrong. He could get a whole lot more out of me by saying, son, you messed up, but the right way to do it is this. I still, you still did good. That's still a good job. Thank you so much for your help. Then if he were to say, you idiot, why did you do that? You messed this up. You broke this. You did that. You did whatever. No, no, no. He's not going to get anything out of me because fear does not do anything. Fear runs you away. Fear and shame is not the way that we're meant to come. That's why it says you can come boldly into the throne of God. Now, why are you preaching this to the Sunday night crowd, man? Don't you know you're preaching to the choir? I know. I know. But you would be amazed at how many people shout on Sunday and then they feel shame Monday through Saturday. It's easy to shout when you're in the presence of an almighty God, but it's easy to feel shame when you're in the presence of a dark world. When you have all this law telling you this and telling you that, it's easy to beat yourself down and say, man, I messed up again. I broke it again. Man, I did did that. I I lost it. I I, I lost my temper and I I said this or I said that or I can't believe I looked at this or thought this way or did this thing. And we get so beat down and so broken down and so messed up because we're covered up in shame. But Jesus is a better messenger. He doesn't hit you with shall nots. He hits you with shalls. That's why the book of 1 John chapter 4 in verse 16 would declare this. For we know and we believe the love of God. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God dwelleth in him. And he goes on to verse 17 to say, And this is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. How are you going to have boldness in the day of judgment if somebody's going to smack you over the head with a lightning bolt? No, it's because you know he ain't like that. 
You know that God doesn't feel that way about you. You know that he loves you more than that. So your love is made perfect in that you are not afraid in the day of judgment. But rather we know that just as he was, we are in this world. Well, he was tempted and tried in all manners. No temptation overcomes us except what is common to man. Amen? So we know that he already went through all that. So we're not hung up on it. And then verse 18 goes on to declare this. And I think we misrepresent it sometimes. (laughs) He says this. For there is no fear in love, for perfect love cast out all fear. And we preach it at weddings, and we preach it at funerals, and we preach it at times when we want to talk about people, but that ain't talking about people's love at all. I know some people with some flaky love. Amen? I know some people that one minute they're smiling at me, the next minute I'm pulling daggers out of my back. Yeah, that's people's love. He ain't talking about that. No, no, no. God right here, he's talking about when he speaks through John, he's talking about a love that is so powerful. A love that is so pure. A love that cared enough about us that when we were falling, when we were sinking, when we weren't worth a heel of dung, according to what Paul talks about with all of our dead works surrounding us, he reached down. Oh, he picked us up. Do you hear? We are chosen by the Almighty God. You are a chosen generation, man and woman of God. You are a royal priesthood. You are not on the bottom of somebody's shoe. You are not beneath anybody. You are an heir of the Almighty God. You are a child of the King. You are a part of an eternal inheritance given to you by the testator of that will called the Word of God, which is Jesus. So Jesus was a better messenger. Why? Let me, let me just show you how Jesus messengered, or whatever you want to call that. This is how Jesus gave his message in the book of Luke chapter 4. If you can throw those verses up there for me real quick. Luke chapter 4, I believe we're going to start in verse 17. This is how Jesus ministered. He says this, and he says, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, sir, Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Now let me just pause right there. Don't that sound better than you idiot, you tore it up again. Sounds a little bit better in the law to me. Jesus is better. Just saying. Verse 19. It says, To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and he sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now now let me hit a few high points here real quick. Number one. In verse 17 it says that they gave him the book of the prophet. And when he opened the book, he found the place. Now, I don't know how much we understand this here because we ain't like the Jewish culture, but in the Jewish culture, that's a no-no. Don't do that. What happens is they hand you the book and they put their little marker in there and wherever that marker was at and the last dude stopped reading, that's where you started reading. That's how it goes. And if So it, it went something like this. When he found the place, you hear all the old folks in the room, <gasps> You know, you don't find the place. You just go. You do what the book was already at. You don't go find your own place. You hoodlum. That's what they was thinking. And they look at Jesus, but Jesus does not care about their tradition because he come to give them a more perfect way. Amen? He's a better messenger, and he wanted to find a news of grace and a news of goodness and a news of peace and a news of kindness and love and the goodness of God. 
So he turns here. And he goes on to give you all these nice things about what he's going to do. And like I said, it just sounds better than you broke it. You tore it up. You messed it up. So he goes on to read them this. And then he gets down to the bottom in verse 20. And he says, he closed the book, gave it back to the minister. And then Jesus, you can be offended by this term if you want to. I don't, I don't mean it that way. In all of his cockiness sits down and just looks at them. And as they're all sitting there trying to gather their composure and pick their jaws back up off the floor and compose themselves and act like they are not wanting to stone him, which they are, in the midst of all that, Jesus just sits down, looks at them for a moment, and then when they are all thoroughly appalled but have tried to contain themselves, he says, folks, today I just fulfilled this thing. I just showed up to fix it. Everything, you've been bruised? Here I am. I'll fix you, Bruce. You've been in captive? Here I am. I'm your prison guard. I'm going to set you free. You've been going through all this junk, and I've come to heal you. I've come to free you. I've come to give you peace. I've come to, to take away all your doubt and all your fear. I am here to fulfill this word in your ears. Jesus is a better messenger. So in the middle of them being so appalled, the reason that they were appalled is because they didn't quite understand what was happening here. But see, I believe that God kind of ties some stuff together in His Word, and He kind of gives us some symbolism there that sometimes we may miss. And it just floored me when I read this, so i got to read it to y'all real quick. Because I think when He sat down, I think He was giving them a picture of what had just happened. Let me turn with you to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. It's not going to be the chapter 10 I just gave you, brother. Hebrews chapter 10 right here. You know, we just read that Jesus handed him back the scroll and he goes and then he sat down and just looks at him and says, it's fulfilled. This is why. Because he was standing in a room with priests. He was standing in a room with rabbis. He was standing in a room with the Sanhedrin and the teachers and all the elitist of their time in the church world. It would be like he was standing in a room full of Church of God preachers and he just broke the biggest rule of them all. He might as well have just said fried chicken wasn't of God. He broke them all. He, he destroyed it. You understand what I'm saying? That's yeah, a cardinal sin. He broke it. So Jesus sits down for this purpose right here because in chapter 10 of Hebrews verse 11, he says this. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the sacrifices which can never be taken away all the sins. Now, now in chapter 9, when we read those verses about that Jesus furniture... If you will notice, there was one piece of furniture that never showed up in all that. You got an altar. You got the bowl. You got the candle stand. You've got a table with showbread. You've got all this stuff, but there's one thing that's lacking. There's no chair. Why? Because this verse said it. When you were a priest in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, you didn't get to sit down because you was busy. If you had to kill a cow every time you messed up, would you not be a little bit busy? Think about it. He was busy. He didn't get to sit down. He had a hard job. Everybody's like, oh, I wish I was a priest. And the priest would say, oh, I wish I was a regular person. Tired of killing animals for all of your evil junk. You know, that's how it was going on. And this priest, he never gets to sit down. He has to stand all the time. So that's why verse 11 said, every priest stands ministering daily. And he offers sacrifices over and over and over that can never take away sin. Now, here's where it gets good, church. Verse 12 says this. But this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, 
Oh, hang with me here. Set down on the right hand of God. Woo. <laughs> now, I ought not to have to preach that, but I'm going to anyway. Just because I'm kind of itching at the ears to go ahead and do it. If every other priest is too busy because they're standing up, their work is never complete. They've never finished. Everything is ongoing. They keep on having to do this job over and over and over and over and over. Then how much significance was there added <laughs> when Jesus ascends back to the throne and the first thing he does is not say, Father, it's finished. The first thing he does is not walk to the angels and say, High five, Gabriel, we got it. The first thing he does is just to symbolize what he done. It's finished. Boys, I got it. It's in the bag. Devil thought he had it. We snagged it at the last second. It's good. It's complete. All that's left now is for these people to just go ahead and understand that I give them grace. All that's left now is for them to understand that I don't hate them. I'm not mad at them. I love them. I gave everything for them. I, I did all. Can I give you a mind-blowing revelation tonight that most of the church world has missed? God is happy. God is happy. He is not mad at you. God does not hate you. He died for you. God is not irritated with you. He is not pestered by you. He is not mad about anything that has happened. If he were mad about the fact that you can't do it on your own, then why in the world did he say lean not on your own understanding, but rather acknowledge God in all of your ways and let him direct your path? What he said was lean on me. Lean on me when you ain't strong. I'm going to be your friend. I'm going to help you care. That's what he said. Okay, You can get the little Michael Bolton course going if you want to. Lean on me. That's what he said. Lean on me. I got you. That's why he said in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, that's why he went on to say that my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is going to be perfect in your weakness. He expected us to mess up. Can I just go ahead and clear your conscience and let you know God knows that we are not perfect. God knows that we aren't good enough. That's why he sent Jesus. Because Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Now, I know I'm doing a little bit of teaching here tonight, but we're we about to get into it. I promise. We're going we're gonna to get there in just a second. The next thing I want to share with you that Jesus is is this. Jesus is a better way. Amen? Jesus is a better way. That's why in John chapter 14, verse 6, he declared this. <clears throat> he was standing in the midst of all the people, and Jesus gets up and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to me, but uh, no man comes to the Father, but by me. What he was saying is, he's getting the priests are standing there. Okay, the priests are watching all this happen. The high priests are there, and the and the rabbis are there, and the teachers are there, and every, all these people that have these big important jobs to make sure that the people feel like they aren't good enough to touch God. They're all there, and Jesus says, "Look, dude in the long, funny dress thing that keeps killing the goat. You don't need him." You need me. You don't need all this stuff over it. You don't need your tradition. You don't need your old ways. You don't need your junk. What you need is me. I am better. I'm better than what they've got. I'm better than what they're telling you. I am the better way. Now, now let me explain. Because to me, this is not hard to understand. 
And I'm not, I don't mean me as in me and you. I'm talking about me and those people back then. To me, this is an easy concept. Man walks up. He's healing people left and right. Things are just going crazy. He, he stands up and he says, you don't have to do things the same way anymore. I, me personally now, this is just me. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being kind of, well, I'm trying, kind of trying to be funny, but I'm being serious. If this dude comes up to me and he says, okay, no longer do you have to do this the old way. Because in the old way, this is what happened. You went and bought Bessie. You got you a cow. You took the cow down to the temple. You walked to the temple and you said, all of our sins from this past year on this cow. And then you killed it. Now, if somebody says to me, you don't have to go by Bessie every year anymore. You just trust me. That sounds like a better way, right? I don't know about you, but I'm thankful I don't have to do that no more. Cows are expensive. If I want to buy one, I want to eat him, not give him away. Just saying. So Jesus is the better way. No longer do we have to do these old things, these old rituals, this old... What we have to do is understand, God, I know that you love me. I know that I am a total, complete mess. But, here you go. I'm here. This is me. I'm giving you everything I got. I'm broken. I'm all messed up. But you know what? You can have me. You can take me. You do whatever you want to do with me. I'm yours. Instead of killing Bessie. Sounds like a better way to me, church. And I know that we're looking at this like it's basic, but I think if we ever get the understanding, the true revelation, that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is a better messenger. He gives us a message of grace. Jesus, Jesus is a better way. We don't have to do things the old way because the old way made us feel like we were dirt. The old way made us feel like we weren't good enough. But there's a new way where there's this guy and he came and he loved you and he took on the form of humanity. He put on mortality instead of immortality and he hung on a cross between heaven and earth to be the mediator and the propitiation for you and I for our sin. There's a better way, church, than what we think we have to do. So why then, if we have this new way, do we take the old way? Well, I don't, I don't buy no cow and kill a cow. What are you talking about, preacher? No, 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 no. But, but, but we still follow that old way of ashaming ourselves. We still follow that old way of telling ourselves we're not good enough. We still follow that old way of not really taking him at his word when he said, I will supply all of your needs according to your riches and glory. Or according to my riches, I apologize. He, he, we, we still choose the old way when he's given us something better. Let, let me give you my last one real quick of why Jesus is better. Jesus is a better high priest. Can, can you throw up Hebrews chapter 10, 19 and 20 for me real quick? Now, now this is where I really like it. This is where it starts getting good to me, church, because I, I love coming into a service and when, when the band's just kicking and the, the worship is just thick and you just know that God's in the, I love that. And I love it. When I can walk in, whether it's this atmosphere or my bedroom with a cheap CD player, I can get the same tangible, real, actual, uh, just loving, amazing, overwhelming presence of God. It's mind-blowing to me. So, so it just I, I just love it, and then I look at it and I think about, okay, I got it now. I understand why. Because I'm no longer using that old veil. Because see, there was a veil in the old covenant, in the old way. And if you couldn't get into that veil, you couldn't experience the presence. Y'all remember that story, right? 
Thank God Jesus decided to tear that baby in Matthew 28, I believe it was, 7 or 8. I'm glad he did. And instead of that veil, he gave us a new veil. He gave us a different one. And it's this right here. It says this, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Next verse. It says, By a new and a living way which he has consecrated or set apart for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. Now, I've got a little bit of a corny belief here, and you can look at me like I'm crazy, and I'm just a little bit on the deep end. Or you, or you can just listen to me on what I believe here. I think when that soldier got up enough gall to ram that spear through the side of our Lord, and he put that open and leading straight to his heart, I think what he did was he opened a veil for all of mankind. Because he said, God is love. If you dwell in, or if you dwell in love, Love dwells in you. You dwell in God. Note that you dwell in God. Not with God, not by God, not around. You dwell in God. And Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you. So wait, 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 wait. You abide in me. I believe that he consecrated a new veil for us, and that is the veil of his flesh, saying when he died, we don't need anybody else to get us into the Holy of Holies anymore. We're just there. We're at the epitome of the Holy of Holies because we're inside Jesus. How? Because he opened up his heart and he said, you know what? I love you with everything I've got. I love you. I want you. I want to be with you. And he opened up a veil for us to come in and he created a better way for us. A way where he protects us. A way where he loves us. A way where he watches over us. A way where when we are lonely, we have a friend. A way where that when we are sick, we have a healer. A way that when we are tired, we have new life and we have joy, which is our strength through the Lord. He created us a new way. I don't have to go through the temple anymore. I got my temple when I got my Jesus. I got it all when I got him. Jesus is better. And here's what I want to show you real quick about dwelling in Jesus. You get the protection of Jesus. Amen? Mark chapter 4, verse 33 and 41, through 41 real quick. If you can put that up there for me. I'll just go ahead and read it here instead of turning through all this stuff. It says, and with, with many such parables spake he the word of the Lord unto them as they were able to hear it. That's talking about the crowd. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, meaning him and the disciples, then he expounded all of these things to his disciples. Because how many know that sometimes the large group can't handle the deep word? Amen? How many know that sometimes not everybody is ready to hear about how you can enter into the veil of Jesus Christ through his flesh because a spear went up and pierced it? Some people look at you a little crazy if you get into that. Some people look at you a little bit crazy if you tell them that, you know what, there's a better way, and the way is a way where you don't get condemned and you don't feel beat down. I understand I keep on hitting the same thing because I believe I'm talking to some folks that know what I'm talking about. Am I saying that you're a dirty sinner? No, I'm saying we have all been a dirty sinner, and because of what we were, we still carry that shame in the now in what we are. We still beat ourselves down. We still smack ourselves over the head and say, you aren't good enough, you messed up, you didn't get it, you didn't do what you're supposed to do. 
And we beat that over ourselves over and over and over. But God can give a deeper word and a, and a deeper truth to that smaller group. And that's what he starts doing here. And I believe he gets ready to teach his disciples in what happens next. Can you go on to that next verse for me, please? It says, this, And the same day when the even was come, he saith to them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. Keep that in mind. Next verse, please. It says this, And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full, full of water, filled up with all of that junk. And sir, you can go into that next verse, please. And said, He was in the hinder part of the ship. He was asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And this is where it starts getting good, church. He said, and he arose, and he rebuked the wind, and he said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Here's what I want to tell you about our better high priest, Jesus. He's also our daddy God. And that means he loves you like daddy loves you. He loves you the way a real daddy loves you. If you haven't known that love, let me tell you about daddy's love. Daddy's love will backhand somebody if they mess with their baby. Daddy's love will provide everything they've got down to the very last drop. Daddy's love thinks that you can't do no wrong. There is nothing that can make them not be proud of you. Daddy's love is a good love. Daddy, now, mama's love is there to pick you up when you're down, but daddy's love makes you feel good. Daddy's love makes you realize, wow, he, he thinks something of me. I, you know, we all thought that daddy was the strongest one. We thought daddy could, he was the world's strongest man. He just didn't know it yet. And we thought that daddy was the best of the best, and daddy could do everything. And even in the middle of us thinking that of him, he thinks so much of us, and that just raises us up. Daddy's love from God's the same way. We look at him and we say, wow, he's got the cattle of a thousand hills. Wow, he's got the power to heal the sick. Wow, he's got the power to raise the dead. He can do this. He can do that. He's so awesome. He's so great. He's so amazing. So when he turns around and we get the full idea that he looks at us and says, hey, you, I love you. Hey, my church, my bride, my body, I love you. I lo when we get that understanding, when we get that revelation, there is nothing that can hold us down because daddy's love picks us up and raises us up and makes us feel proud and makes us feel like we're worth something and makes us feel like we're valuable because daddy's love has picked us up and daddy's love is a protective love. So this storm goes to beating and the winds go to, wave, uh, to howling and the waves go to beating and banging like crazy. And all of this stuff is going on. And now, now here's what I want you to notice. If all of that is happening, this, it says the ship is full of water. I, I, I assume that means that it, it's full. I mean, that, that's what I think it means is when it says it's full, it's got water running out the side. It is overfilled. That's what full means, right? So, so all this is going on, and somehow Jesus is asleep? Really? Did he pop a few pills or something before he went? Don't stone me. I know I'm talking about Jesus. Do you get what I'm... What did he do? Did somebody bop him over the head before he laid down? How did he sleep through all of this? Now, you know, now I'm just kind of crazy here, but I think he was just doing it just to prove a point. I think he did it just because he could. He just laid there and he wanted to show us this. That the storm don't scare him. 
The waves can beat on the ship all they want. The ship can be sinking for all he cares. It don't scare him. He's not worried about that. He's a God of all peace, peace that passes understanding. I'm pretty sure he got this, you know. And, and, and all of this junk is going on. He ain't scared. Everybody else is crying and wailing and hollering and, and scared to death. And they don't know what's about to happen. They say, God, we're about to perish. We're going to die. Jesus is asleep. Storm didn't even wake him. What woke him, though? Oh, come on, church. What woke him? It was when he heard the cries of his children. Come on. It was when he heard that his babies were scared. It was when he heard that his friends were in need. It was when he heard that his children had realized the ship is going down and there ain't a thing we can do about it. So we need Jesus. And in the middle of all that, he does not wake up for anything except the fact that they say, Jesus, we need you. He don't get woke up by the storm. He don't get woke up by the crashing. He don't get woke up by the tossing and the turning and the water filling the ship. The thing that wakes him up is when his children decide, Master, I need you. This storm is too big. This is too much. I cannot carry this load. I can't make it with this. And what wakes my Jesus up? Daddy, I need you. Woo, that's... That gets me excited right there because my daddy could wake up for a lot of stuff. He could wake up because things are in turmoil. He could wake up because the government's trying to vote him off their money. I know, I know he got stayed on there. I know, I'm just saying. You understand. He could get in a turmoil and get all in, in a mess because of all this other junk. Don't bother him. He ain't worried. He has complete and total peace through all of it. He's not afraid. He's not mad. He's still a happy God. He's still a loving God. And he holds peace through all of it. The thing that gets him (laughs) is when you and I decide, I can't take this no more. Can't deal with this another day. Can't handle it another minute. Daddy, if you don't lift this off of me, it's going to crush me. And he said he wouldn't put anything on us that we could not bear without providing a way of escape. I believe that that way of escape is just that daddy hand reaches down and says, All right, I got the load. You're good. Get out from under it. The way of escape is not that he snaps his finger and it disappears. (laughs) The way he gets you out of it and the way of escape is not all this other stuff that sometimes... Sometimes the way that God gets you out is just that he reaches down and he holds the weight. He says, All right, you can keep on walking now. I got it. I'm holding it. I got it in my hand. And if it's in daddy's hand, it's pretty safe, right? Y'all remember when we was little kids and we had some money or something that we didn't want to lose? What did we do? We'd give it to daddy. Let daddy hold on to it because we knew daddy wouldn't lose it. We knew daddy'd be okay with it. Daddy'd be able to take care of it. Anything that we had that was too big for it, we'd give it to daddy because daddy could handle it. Daddy just reaches down and just takes it. Just says, I got it. You keep on walking now. I know it's heavy. You keep on walking. I got you, load. I got it. It's all good. And he's not woken up by how heavy your load is. He's not awakened by the beating and the bashing and the the howling of the waves and the winds and everything else. He gets woke up when his child looks to him and says, i got to have some help. Can can you come on and just help me on the keyboard just real quick, just softly, if you can just give me something for a minute? Here's what I came to do tonight, church. 
Because I, I truly believe this was an assignment from the Lord because he would not have scared me plumb to death by changing everything at the last minute if it, if it weren't somewhat important. Because I don't know if y'all know how preachers are, but we get a little bit scared sometimes. And when we're supposed to be up there looking like the man of faith and power for the hour and we look like the idiot who didn't study, ain't, it ain't good. Not a good place to be at. So when God comes in and he changes everything, I believe it's for a reason. I believe it's for a plan. So here's what I just want to do tonight. I just want to declare over you that you have a better way. There has been a better message of grace given to you that you are not unworthy. You are not the, you are not the tail. You are the head. You are not the last, but you are the first. There has been a better message given to you that you are not shameful. You are not lowly. You are not beaten down. But rather what you are is the child of the Most High. What you are is a man or a woman undergirded by the grace of Almighty God that will lift you up so that you can mount up on wings as eagles, so that you can run and not grow weary, so that you can walk and not faint. Why? Because your better way, your better high priest comes along and says, I will be with you through the fire. I will walk with you through the rivers. I will be there when everything is crashing in around you. I will be there. I will hold your hand. I will lift your load. I will be there. You have a better way. You have a better high priest. Jesus is better. So just real quick, here's what I'm going to do. If you want to taste and see that Jesus is better, and you've been struggling, whether you struggle with your finances, you struggle with hang-ups and hurts, you've struggled with feeling unworthy, You've struggled with bitterness. You've struggled with doubt. You've struggled with feeling like God couldn't take care of it. If you want to just taste and see that Jesus is better, I want you to just meet me here at this altar real quick. You've got to taste and see. Altar's open. If you've got something weighing on your mind that is more than you can bear, I want you to come down here and taste and see real quick. We're about to taste and see that the Lord is good. I want you to come down right now. If that's you, if you've got something on your mind, if you need prayer, He is better. If you need something from the Lord, don't hesitate to come down. Don't hesitate to feel like you can't reach Him. I want you to just come down here and you're about to experience something better.